Again, one of the dumbest decisions of my broadcasting life. Tomorrow we're going to play The Heat Is On every single break as bumper music. I may call, Dan, can I call that off by 1230, or do I have to stick to it? No, if you, you've said it this many times on the air, now you've got, you're stuck with okay. it. Oh, man, I hope I get hit by a truck. Uh, Patricia Lopez and John Rash are here. They're both on the Shift Real Estate Hotline. There's partnership between WCCO Radio and the Star Tribune Editorial Board. John and Pat, great to chat with you. John, I'll start with you. What is your assessment of what Mayor Fry is trying to do with 38th in Chicago? He was on the show yesterday. I tried to pin him down on a deadline. He would not go there. I tried to pin him down on whether a police presence will be required. He said he knows, and I concur, that certain individuals are looking for a confrontation with the police, but he would not admit that they need a police presence to firmly and finally clear 38th in Chicago. How is it playing out in your assessment so far? That it's quite a difficult task. He's clearly trying to avoid, as you just mentioned, a confrontation, but also trying to listen to voices from the neighborhood, many of them who have written letters to the editor or commentaries on our opinion pages reflecting the fact that it has become dangerous there. They want to be able to move forward with traffic and some semblance of a return to the way it was prior to this tragedy, that they want to retain the elements of the area, George Floyd Square, that really do honor his life, but that they got to have traffic get through and a police presence better reestablished. And, you know, by hook or crook, it appears the mayor is going to keep trying to do this. Pat, is he doing enough at this point, in your opinion? I think um, the mayor has to be more uh, transparent about what it is he plans to do and when. Uh, there shouldn't be any more surprise openings like there were um, the other night, you know, doing it pre-dawn, dark of night. That, that's not the way to go about it. I, that said, I am concerned about this idea that any one group can speak for the community. There is no monolithic community around 38th in Chicago. There are different people with different points of view. Some of them are very concerned about the lack of police presence. Some of them are very concerned about police presence. Uh, there are those who, you know, want to see it opened, and there are those who want to see it remain closed as um, as a memorial site. So he's he's going to have to navigate through this. But I but I would be wary of groups that are self appointed spokespeople uh, for the community at large. This is not you know one voice that he's dealing with. This is a multiplicity of voices, and he has to work through and find out what the best solution is. But then, for heaven's sake, be clear about what's going to happen and when. Well, staying with this, um, I don't want to see uh, any confrontation between citizens of the area and police. Who, who wants to see that? But, Pat, I'll start with you first. I don't see how it stays open, at least initially, without some level of police presence. They can't just keep doing this every third or fourth morning with city workers, and if it's just going to get shut down at some point Mm -hmm. to dramatically change this and to say, because I'm with you, that I get that the folks in that area care, but you don't get to determine. You don't get to determine 
that this is an autonomous zone. And all the while, we absolutely should respect the area for the murder that took place there. A memorial should be up. It never should be taken down. But, Pat, I don't see a scenario where the police don't play some role, at least early, in keeping this area open. Well, I, um, I'm inclined to agree with you, um, in part because we saw this uh, group, Agape, who had a contract uh, with the city. Um, they, they claimed to be speaking for the community. Um, they went ahead and tried to clear, um, uh, clear the square and reopen it to traffic, removing, you know, some of the gardens and things that had sprung up, and uh, and they were they were criticized um, for what they did. So if if not them, if you can't rely on community groups to do this, then then there has to be the police. I, I don't. They're running out of options to um, make sure that it gets open in some form and stays open. Whether that whether you create a roundabout or whatever it is you need to do, it's not feasible to simply close it off forever. There are issues with ambulances no. and buses, yes. and um, you know who stocks the uh, the stores around there. People who need to get through who live in that area. Not all of them are on the same page about this, and that has to be respected as well. So I want to talk about Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. We have been trying the last couple of days to get her on the show so far. It has not happened. We hope it happens soon. John, I'll go to you here. Reading from uh, your paper, U.S. Rep. Ilhan Omar and nearly two dozen Democratic elect officials are asking the Justice Department to expand its review of the Minneapolis Police Department to include seven other state and local police agencies. Do you think that's the appropriate move, John, that this shouldn't be just about the Minneapolis Police Department, that if you look at other agencies, they should be a part of the probe? I think it's appropriate that they look at the Minneapolis Police Department, and indeed we've editorialized as such. I think that her list was both exhaustive and selective in terms of choosing a few specific suburbs most notably Edina, you know, which didn't seem to have anything specific to, to do with some of the events or the issues that, that took place, but also some of the other ele- elements, um, you know, that, that she wanted investigated. I think it's appropriate to start with the city of Minneapolis, and th- that in itself is going to be a significant endeavor to really give a thorough and exhaustive and, you know, acknowledge what has been happening with the city police force in doing so, if that would trigger deeper questions about some of the organizations, entities, and indeed suburbs that representative Omar has identified, then it may be appropriate to do, to go deeper and to have separate investigations of those as well. Let me ask you another part about uh, representative Omar, Pat, that has generated uh, criticism, and Congressman Omar's team has said this has been taken out of context. She tweeted out a video where she is questioning the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken. Uh, mm-hmm. She pressed Blinken on the struggles for victims of war crimes. She tweeted out this statement. We must have the same level of accountability and justice for all victims of crimes against humanity. We have seen unthinkable atrocities committed by the U.S., Hamas, Israel, Afghanistan, 
and the Taliban. I have asked Secretary Blinken where people are supposed to go for justice. Again, the team representative, representative Omar saying that was taken out of context. I look at this, and I realize we have many sins in this country and many mistakes, including uh, a lack of equal treatment in my view. But I think a lot of people, myself included, look at comparing the U.S. to Hamas as an example seems well out of line. What do you think? Well, I, I didn't see that video, for one thing. Um, what uh, Omar says is being taken out of context seems in line with things that she has said before. Um, so I, I, couldn't, um, I couldn't speak to that. I do think as to the, you know, the crimes of the U.S., you know, they, they are many and they go back um, for decades. But there are good things that are being done, too. And it's not – I don't think it's fair to compare – um, the United States to something like Hamas. I mean, that is um, a terrorist uh, that's a, that's a real stretch. Yeah, that's a fl- John. Again, this country has flaws today, but when we're talking about a direct comparison with Hamas and the Taliban in this country, that uh, to me that's just not fair. I think you have to be much more specific about what has happened here if you're comparing this country to Hamas and the Taliban. And we're trying to get Congresswoman Omar to ask her that direct question. Right before we went on air, the United States government announced that it was going to distribute 500 million Pfizer vaccines around the world. And this comes on top of the tens of millions they have already sent and others that they have already pledged. And that's reflective of U.S. leadership for a nation that at least endeavors in the modern era to do good in the world. And this crosses political parties and and all sectors of society. Yes, the United States throughout its history has made grave errors, specifically involving, but not exclusive of, of course, the slave trade and the treatment of Native Americans in, in this country. But to compare a country like the United States and its efforts to the Taliban and to Hamas, among others, is very inappropriate and inaccurate and is one of the reasons why Representative Omar, who could be a much more constructive force in the House of Representatives, continually finds herself in these kinds of controversies, which overall hurt the objectives that she initially ran on as she ran for Congress. One more topic, and I'll let both of you go. I'm just seeing that in the last few moments, the president has landed in England for the G7 summit, meeting with the queen, and to most of us, more importantly, his meeting with Vladimir Putin. Hmm. John, what, in fact, I'll go with you, Pat. Hmm. What does Joe Biden have to show to this country and to Vladimir Putin when he meets with him when the whole world will be watching? Well, I think he needs to show, and what he's trying to show is that the U.S. is back, that it um, respects alliances, that it's going to take um, due notice of Russia's actions. Uh, Of course, you know, Biden had um, a seat for this during the eight years of the Obama-Biden administration, so he's well aware of uh, what Russia does and is capable of. Um, and, his, of course, he's served in the Senate m- much longer than that. So 
I don't think, um, I think it will be easier for him to convey that message to the world at large. For Putin, um, I think just the, the meeting itself is that um, he is not going to, um, he's not going to fall. <laughs> There's no way that Putin is going to charm Biden the way he tried to uh, do with, uh, with Trump. Um, Biden's not going to fall for any of that. Um, I think he's going to be serious about uh, what this country's intentions are. Um, and that, in turn, will help signal to the rest of the world, hopefully, that we're turning a page here and turning away from the previous administration's open contempt for some allies and alliances and treaties, and, uh, and that they can rely on our judgment and leadership once again. And that will make it easier to build the kind of coalition we need to rein in both Russia and China, China being, I think, probably the more serious threat. John, a minute to you on the same topic. America is the most powerful nation on Earth, but the force multiplier of its alliance, both military through NATO and political through the European Union, makes that moral force the strongest in the world. So I think the order in which he's doing these meetings and then meeting with President Putin is appropriate. The White House has signaled that they want predictable, maybe not good, but predictable relationships with Russia. And so hopefully he will extend that message when he meets with President Putin there. But this was a big part of what he ran on, and he clearly seems set on being able to deliver it with a successful summit and eventual meeting with foreign leaders. I have to go, guys. I always appreciate it. Thanks so much. We'll talk soon. Thank you.